what are you supposed to do with the rules? Follow them. You should follow them. Should you follow them all the time or just sometimes? All the time. Kant is notoriously difficult to read. So you're to be commended for making it through the selection from groundwork on the metaphysics of morals. There's actually, uh, I don't know if it's just a joke or an act, uh, uh, some urban myth, but I heard the first time I read Kant that uh, sometimes German students uh, actually prefer reading Kant in English translations rather than the original German uh, because he is so difficult to understand. So uh, kudos for making it through this selection. Um, now let's try to figure out together what Kant was actually saying and what we read. The first thing I want to focus on is how Kant understands morality. And he thinks um, morality comes from a moral law and that we get to that moral law through our reason. And his reason for this is starts off with the claim that morality is something that is is necessary, it's universal, it's unconditional, it's something that um, must be true and applies at all places and applies to everybody. So he thinks those kind of things um, have to come a priori. And what does it mean for something to come a priori? It means that it comes from our reason. So he thinks morality comes from reason. Now, for Kant, there is one rule, the one categorical imperative, the categorical imperative from which he derives all morality. And he actually gives this one categorical imperative three formulations. He thinks they amount to the exact same thing, but they're, I guess, different ways of describing what he takes the categorical imperative to be. We're going to look at two of those three. The first one is the universal law formulation. The universal law formulation gives us a sort of recipe for figuring out what actions are right or wrong. Uh, by unpacking what the universal law formulation means for Kant, we have these steps we can go through to figure out whether an action is right or wrong. The universal law formulation of the categorical imperative is act only according to the maxim through which you can at the same time, will that it become a universal law. So there's a lot going on in there. There's the relationship between an action and a maxim. So uh, a maxim being a rule according to which uh, an action can be taken. So we look at an action and we say, okay, what's the rule that this action can be done in accordance with? Then we take that rule and we ask, can we will that this rule become a universal law. And this is where we see the recipe for how to figure out whether an action is right or wrong unfold. So here are the steps that we need to go through uh, to figure out whether an action is right or wrong according to Kant. We determine the action, then we determine the maxim that it's being done in accordance with, then we ask, is that maxim universalizable? And what we mean by that is, could we imagine a world in which everybody was bound, morally bound by that act, by that maxim? Then we ask, not only can we imagine such a world, but would we will that that world exist? Would we 
desire is not quite the right word, but would we want or um, is that a world that we um, should think uh, should uh, should be actualized? So to get an idea of how this recipe works, consider these four cases. So Kant talks about suicide. So the action there would be ending one's life. The maxim or the rule that that action would be in accordance with is, is permissible to end one's life. And then we can ask, is this a universalizable maxim? And Kant thinks no. We couldn't imagine a world in which people were bound by a rule that said it was permissible to end their own life. But why would he think that? And here's the reason. He thinks that the act of um, willing would itself be undermined by ending one's life. So you can't actually uh, want that to be a rule that people are bound by because it undermines the self. It would be willing to not will. He thinks this is a contradiction. You couldn't actually imagine a world in which this maxim was an operation. Because it fails at this step, we don't even actually have to go to the next step. He thinks because it's not universalizable, um, then this tells us that we have a duty actually not to end our own life. The next one he talks about is uh, borrowing without the intention of repaying. So here's an action, uh, uh, borrowing some something from somebody without uh, any intention of paying them back. So the maxim would be when I'm in need, I can promise to do something. I can promise to pay it back uh, without actually intending to do so. Now we ask, is this maxim universalizable? Kant thinks, no, we couldn't imagine a world in which people were bound by that rule. And the reason is, he thinks, promise making and promise keeping, actually, that whole activity gets undermined if there is a rule that says you can break your promises. So by um, the, the idea of a promise caught up in the idea of making a promise is the expectation that the promise be kept. But if you have this rule that says you can actually break a promise, then you have both the expectation that the promise be kept and no expectation that the promise be kept. Again, a contradiction. He thinks it's impossible that you have this world in which there is an expectation that promises are, are broken. And again, you don't need to go on to the next step. That's enough to show you that the action is wrong. Another one to consider is neglecting one's talents or abilities. That means like not cultivating the things that you're good at. So uh, the action would be not developing, uh, uh, neglecting to develop one's talents. Maxim would be, it is permissible not to develop one's talents. Kant would ask, are you, can you imagine such a world in which people are bound by that, that rule that says it's permissible not to develop your talents? And he thinks you could. You could imagine a world in which there was no obligation to develop your talents. You were free to neglect them. But Kant thinks you wouldn't actually will that that be a rule that bound everybody. Um, that isn't a world that you would want to actualize. And so he thinks that you do have a duty to develop your talents. 
Another one he talks about is uh, failing to help somebody in need. So the action would be not helping somebody in need. Ma the maximum the maxim that goes along with that would be it's permissible to not help somebody in need when you're in a position to help them. Could we imagine such a world in which people operated under that maxim? Kant thinks, yes, we could imagine a world in which people felt free to never help people when they were in a position to help them. Would we will that world? Would we want that world to be actualized? Kant says, no, you wouldn't want that world to be actualized. And so there's a there's something that the last two do that are different than the first two. The first two failed at the level of universalizability. We couldn't imagine a world, according to Kant, in which those maxims applied to everybody. In the second two, we could, but we wouldn't will those worlds. And according to Kant, that makes a distinction between the duties that we have in each case. In the first case, because they weren't universalizable, that meant that there was a corresponding duty that we always have to act in accordance with this duty. We always have a duty not to end our own life, and we always have a duty to keep our promises. This gets contrasted with the last two, with neglecting one's natural abilities and failing to help somebody in need. Kant thinks because those are universalizable, but we wouldn't will them, that means that they are imperfect duties. They, they correspond to things that we should be doing, but not necessarily at every moment and at every time. So he thinks you have an obligation to develop your talents, but that doesn't mean that you have to cultivate everything that you're possibly good at and that you should spend all of your time developing your talents. Right? We have this general requirement that you should develop your talents, but that doesn't mean it applies at every moment in every circumstance. Similarly with helping somebody in need. Kant thinks you have this general obligation to help people in need when you're in a position to help them, but that doesn't mean in every circumstance and at every moment you should be helping people in need. Over the course of your life, you have this general obligation to help those people in need, but not at every particular moment do you have that obligation. The second formulation that we're gonna talk about is the humanity formulation. And again, Kant thinks these are equivalent, but they're stating the categorical imperative in a different way. So the humanity formulation is act that you use your humanity, whether in your own person or in the person of another, any other, always at the same time as an end, never merely as a means. And here's where the distinction between means and ends plays a role for Kant. Kant thinks human beings should treat other human beings always as ends themselves and never as means, never only as means. This means you can't use other people in ways and only in ways to get what you want. You always have to treat them with the dignity and respect that other human beings deserve uh, from one another. And we always have to treat each other as something that is valuable in and of itself. So what this means is you can't manipulate people, you can't lie to people, you can't uh, otherwise take advantage of people. Um, but what it doesn't mean is that you can never use people to your own advantage. So there might be circumstances. Um, so think about maybe uh, a, a store clerk, right? You could ask them to get something for you off a shelf, right? Seems like you're using them as a means to get something that you want. 
But if they are in, if they willingly enter in that position, and if you're treating them respectfully, uh, if you are respecting their person, their dignity while you're doing so, then you're not merely treating them as a means to your end, but you're treating them as a means, but also at the same time, you're treating them as ends in themselves. So um, the, the problem comes in when you only regard them as a means to your end and you disrespect uh, their, um, their personhood, their dignity, or you fail to see them as something valuable of themselves.